The reading tonight is taken from Philippians 4, from 1 to 9. And you can follow from the screen as well as Pew Bible 1180. Closing appeal to steadfastness and unity. Therefore, my brother and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Judea and I plead with Syntyche to be one of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the course of the gospel, along with Clemens and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace be with you which transcend all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Finally, my brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of God. Good evening, everyone. Good to be with you. Um, if you don't know me, my name's Chris. I'm the assistant minister here at St. John's. Uh, it'd be lovely to meet you afterwards. Um, we're in a wonderful passage tonight in God's Word, so let me pray as we start. Heavenly Father, tonight we, we do pray so much that you would open our eyes and open our hearts to more of your truth from your Word. And we pray that by your truth, you would tune our hearts to trust you and to know you better. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, People sometimes like to ask us, don't they, um, are you a glass half full person or a glass half empty person? I wonder how you answer that if someone asks you. Are you glass half full or glass half empty? It often sounds like it's totally uh, either or, 
really. Uh, you're either neg- kind of a, a, quite a negative person or you're quite a positive person. You're kind of either or. But surely that's a bit mistaken, isn't it? The truth is that all of us really are a mix. None of us are totally negative. There's usually something that makes us happy and we're interested in. And none of us are totally positive either. Uh, There's usually things we're concerned about, things that make us anxious. We're, We're a mix, aren't we? We're a mix, all of us. Now at this point in the year, uh, we might have all sorts of uh, positive things, that uh, positive thoughts or ambitions for the next few months. I don't know what that is for you. Uh, go on a fitness program, perhaps. Um, get a promotion, look for a promotion, I don't know. Uh, maybe it's uh, get, get more stuck into your small group at, at church this time of year. Uh, maybe it's um, uh, try talking to your friends about Jesus. I don't know what, that, what it would be for you. But alongside those things, we've probably got anxieties. What if I don't get that promotion? What if my mortgage payments go up? What if I feel I'm uh, too busy to keep growing as a Christian? Am I going to burn out spiritually? Will I get any Christian friends? What about my uh, personality clash with so-and-so at church? That's a bit awkward. What about that? Um, here at St. John's, how will the, uh, the changes to the morning services affect life here? Maybe that's on your mind. Will my friends just laugh at me when I talk about Jesus? I wonder what's going through your mind at the moment. There are any number of things that can make us anxious. and Everyone is a warrior to some extent. Uh, sometimes I think I'm not a warrior, uh, but when I spend two hours trying to get to sleep, I realize... Uh, Yes, I am actually a warrior, like everyone else, of course. Well, for all of us today, God wants to transform our anxieties, whatever they might be. In fact, he wants to transform our whole kind of thinking, really. How? Well, by centering our thoughts on God, not on on our anxieties. Centering our thoughts on God, not on our anxieties. Now, maybe that sounds too simple, but I hope we'll be surprised by what God says to us. And today we're back in this letter to the New, in, the, in the New Testament written by the Apostle Paul to the Philippians. It's a church in Philippi in modern Greece. And it's in large part a letter of encouragement because Paul knows that keeping going as Christians is not always easy. Far from it. We are, we are anxious about things. And Paul says, Center your thinking on God. And he'll transform your anxieties. We're going to focus tonight uh, on verses 4 to 9. Um, don't worry about the sermon notes on your sheet. Uh, instead, we're going to see in this passage, uh, Paul gives some amazingly simple commands. He says, rejoice in Jesus, request from God, rest in God's peace, and rejoice in what's good. And he accompanies these with some wonderful truths about God, about Jesus. Um, so first of all, first of all then, um, Paul says, rejoice in Jesus. Verses 4 to 5. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. So Paul's first simple, as it were, command is rejoice. 
Rejoice. Put your joy in Jesus above everything, always. Rejoice. Now, you might be thinking, uh, easy for you to say, Paul, just rejoice. Well, remember that Paul is currently in chains, in prison, as he's writing this letter, actually. Okay, but rejoice always? That's it? That's unrealistic, isn't it? I've got a, a horrible boss, and I've got mortgage, and I've got my health problems. It's unrealistic. And you're right, actually, rejoice always is unrealistic. But Paul says rejoice in the Lord always. See, no one rejoices in a bubble. You've got to rejoice kind of in something. That's just kind of the way it works. It's got to be an object of joy. And now Paul is not saying rejoice always in your boss or rejoice always in your mortgage or that would just be pretending. No, he says rejoice in the Lord Because for Christians, the object of joy is Jesus Christ, who is God himself. Rejoicing in him means praising him. It means thinking about the fact that through Jesus, we know God, who is our creator. He's our life source. And God has chosen us to be his children. He loves us dearly. And these truths are always worth rejoicing in. I think we could agree that if we are a Christian. For Christians, the command to rejoice in the Lord always is not actually unrealistic. Paul knows it's not always easy. That's why he repeats it. But it is possible because the object of joy is so good. Jesus Christ himself and what he's done. And there's another reason why rejoicing in the Lord is so important. Uh, Notice verse 5. He says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Uh, Gentleness here means kind of graciousness. Uh, This should be evident to all around, including the outside world. Uh, So this joy that we've been talking about is to lead to gracious behavior that onlookers will notice. All because, he says, uh, the Lord is near. The Lord is near. Um, Now what does that mean? Uh, This does mean that the Lord's presence is near. Um, God is with us in Christ. It's also that the Lord's return is near. Uh, Paul has already talked about Jesus' return in the previous chapter, chapter 3, verse 20. He said, uh, we eagerly await the Savior from heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord is near. You could say um, the Lord is, is nearly here. You could put it like that. Uh, now, two questions from this. Um, how actually is that true? And why is that important? So let's just quickly answer that. How is the Lord Jesus nearly here? Jesus has not returned 2,000 years after Paul wrote this letter. So how does that work out? Um, Well, yes, but in fact, for everyone, the Lord's return is always near. Jesus taught very clearly that he could come back at any time to judge mankind. He could come tonight. He is near in that sense. But then why is this important? Well, um, for one thing, it makes rejoicing more urgent, doesn't it? Jesus is near. He's nearly coming back. So anyone who doesn't trust in Jesus needs to hear about him before he comes. So they need to see our, our joy and our graciousness to prick their interest in Jesus, if nothing else. 
But also when we know that Jesus is near, it makes rejoicing easier, I think. Not always easy, but easier. Imagine, uh, imagine it's the Second World War and you're um, a prisoner of war in a camp in the Burmese jungle. Okay? Uh, a miserable place, very little food, brutal treatment. Could you ever rejoice in that camp? That would be hard. But one day you get the radio out and you pick up uh, the world service, really crackly reception, and you hear the news. The enemy has surrendered. Troops are on their way into the jungle and they're nearly here. That would transform your thinking, wouldn't it? It would. It would. You're still in that miserable camp, but the troops are nearly there. You can rejoice because you know what's coming. Rejoice in the Lord always, Paul says. He's nearly here. The Lord is near. How might that transform your thinking for this week or the next few months? Could this be a time to, when you can take greater joy in your relationship with Jesus Christ? That would be great, wouldn't it? That would be great. Rejoice in Jesus. Uh, secondly, verse 6 Moving on, verse 6, request from God. Request from God. Verse 6 says, it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Paul is saying here, um, don't agonize about anything. Ask God instead. Don't agonize, ask. Now, it seems to be more of Paul's amazingly simple uh, black and white commands. You know, do not be anxious about anything. Be anxious about nothing. Very black and white. Again, is this really possible? Is it? I can be um, quite a worrier, as I've realized. Um, a few years ago, I did try to take in this command uh, to heart. Do not worry. Do not worry, Chris. Uh, so for quite a long time, if I felt a bit fraught about something, uh, I tried telling myself, um, do not worry. Just do not. I know I'm not supposed to worry, so I won't. I'll block out the worries and the things that things will be fine. Well, you know what? It wasn't quite as easy as that. It wasn't. Just telling myself, do not worry, didn't seem to work. What I didn't realize was the but that Paul talks about here. Do not be anxious about anything but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Don't be anxious, but pray. Pray. If you've come tonight hoping for some uh, new invention about dealing with anxiety, I'm afraid you'll be disappointed. The antidote to anxiety is to pray. Pray. Not special prayers, just pray. Not some uh, magic formula, not some special wording, not the special prayer of a saint, or you know, not through an intermediary like Mary or anything like that. Not uh, repeating a prayer 15 times and not praying standing on your head. None of those things. Just pray. Pray. Now he does say a few things about this praying. It's um, specific requests he's talking about here. 
Uh, The word petition means to ask God for specific needs. Present your requests to God, he says. So when you have a need, ask God. This is more than just telling God uh, about our troubles. It's requesting that he does something about it. Don't agonize. Ask God. Now, for myself, this is still revolutionary. Still is. It's so easy when we've got worries to agonize about them, isn't it? Of course it is. They dominate our thinking. They, 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 we fret about them. We get really wound up when we can't shake them off. God says, don't agonize. Ask him. Tell God what you're concerned about and ask him to help you. Again, this is not a case of pray to God, but kind of actually you're still going to deal with the problem all by yourself. It's not, it's not that kind of thing. It's a case of lifting your request to God, asking for his help, acknowledging that most things in your life are out of your control. You're saying to God, you're the boss, not me. Now, two more things that Paul does say about making a request to God. He says, he says pray in everything. Did you see that? In everything. You see, nothing is too big or too small to bring to God in prayer. Because if we trust in Jesus, God's care for us is, is powerful and it's personal. God can provide the big things in life because he's powerful. And he can also provide the smaller things in life because he's personal, he cares. So we can pray in any situation, at any time, for any need, big or small. Here is God's um, open door policy, you could say. Uh, When I was at university, I remember uh, needing to ask my tutor an important question. So I emailed him to ask, uh, can I come down and see you? And he said, yeah, yeah, sure, that's fine, fine. Uh, So I rushed down from the computer, down a few flights of stairs, straight to his office, all in about 30 seconds. He wasn't expecting me to come quite so soon. He was, I was interrupting him. And he said, no, 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 come back later. God is not like that. He is not. God has a real open door policy. He loves it when we come to him straight away. Whatever the situation And Paul says to do this with thanksgiving. He's saying, uh, every time you ask God for something, give him thanks for something. This is again about um, balancing our thinking. I mean, giving thanks means that we don't just focus on what we lack, but reminds us of what we do have. Oh yes, I'm, I'm still forgiven as a Christian. And God, you've given me a place to live, family, friends, perhaps. So many things. It means we come to God with, with gratitude and not with grumbling. One commentator has put it this way. He says, anxiety and prayer are more opposed to each other than fire and water. Anxiety and prayer are more opposed than fire and water. Now, this is not saying that when we pray, uh, God automatically and straight away removes the direct cause of that anxiety. Your horrid boss might still be there. 
If you uh, suffer from depression, it might take a long time for that cloud of depression to lift, if at all. And it might be wise to seek medical help in the meantime, of course, of course. But what praying does do is remove our self-reliance, doesn't it? We can agonize on our own, or we can ask God, ask for help. In a way, God is telling us to be a bit more like young children. Um, When young children agonize, they immediately ask their parents for help. That's what I find. Um, Several years ago, I was on holiday in Cornwall, and um, I was down on the beach with my nephew. He's called Basil. He was three years old at the time. And um, on the upper part of the beach, there was a little stream it's usually a tiny stream, but um, there had been a huge amount of rain, so it had grown and it was very wide and it was flowing quite fast. Uh, we both had wellies on, uh, so we walked into the shallow bit, the two of us, and that was all right. Uh, but then it got a bit deeper and a bit faster, and Basil wasn't loving it. He wasn't. So he turned to me, put his arms up in a very cute way, and I picked him up and we carried on. Now the point is, when Basil got worried, how long did it take for him to ask for help? About half a second. His instinct told him, I can't do this, I need help. The thing is, we could all be quicker, I'm sure, to ask God for help, quicker to pray. There's a a Christian counsellor in the US called um, Ed Welch, and he talks about our, our, our lag time, as he calls it. Uh, We all have a a lag time between agonizing and then asking God for help. Here's what he says. He says this. The last 20 years of my life have been spent, in part, shortening the lag time between the appearance of anxiety and the onset of prayer. That gap has gone from two days down to one, then down to an hour or two. Occasionally, prayer comes even before my anxiety is full-blown. When that happens, I marvel at the power of God that equips me to do what is counterintuitive. Left to myself, I can only spin out doomsday scenarios with the hope that in my agitation, my frenetic mind will stumble onto some answers. Sound familiar? Now I find that so helpful. I need to shorten my lag time. It can be hard, of course. Sometimes you just don't feel like praying. Sometimes you just forget. And sometimes you'd actually prefer to figure out your own solutions, don't you? You just will just wallow in the doomsday scenarios. God knows that agonizing is unhealthy for us. He knows it's best for us to pray, to rely on him. So I just want to encourage us to try that. Try to reduce our lag time by being quicker to pray. If you have an anxiety of any sort, here's what we're told to do. Pray to God, give thanks to God for something, anything. Ask him for specific help. Pray, give thanks, and ask. Now that's got to be worth trying, isn't it? It's got to be worth trying. Whether you're uh, sitting on your sofa late at night, agonizing over your marriage or singleness, or, or you're staring out the bus window, agonizing about the next months with all its decisions and challenges, 
If you're agonizing, turn it to prayer as soon as you can. Pray, give thanks for something, ask God for help. That's transformed thinking. Rejoice in Jesus, uh, request from God. And in verse 7, rest in God's peace. Rest in God's peace. Paul says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Well, that's a wonderful promise. If we pray about our anxieties, God promises that his peace will protect our hearts and minds, whether our anxieties fade quickly or slowly, we can rest in his peace. Now, three very quick things we're told about this peace. It's the peace of God, it's the peace that guards, and it's a peace that's guaranteed in Jesus. Uh, so first, it's the peace of God. So it's not a peace that we create. We can't just create it by saying, uh, peace be with you, or peace on earth. No, it's God's peace. It comes from him. Which is why Paul says that this peace uh, transcends all understanding. It's beyond us. Not in the negative sense of, oh no, it's kind of way beyond you. Not, but in the positive sense. It's part of something so much more wonderful that we can get our heads around fully. It's wonderful. It's God's peace. Secondly, um, it's a peace that guards the peace that guards. Uh, Jesus talks about this in John chapter 14, talking to his disciples. He said this, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So you see, Jesus' peace through the Holy Spirit guards us against the troubles of this world and against fear. Now, we need this because our anxieties are agonizing, make us feel insecure, worried about uncertainties, worried about being hurt. So they make our minds and our hearts kind of vulnerable to, for example, kind of doubts about God's love. Does God, does God care about me? Is he even there? The peace of God by the Holy Spirit guards us by reassuring us of God's love. Isn't it good to know that if you trust in Jesus, that we're guarded in this way? Isn't that reassuring? We can so easily forget, can't we? It's God's peace. It's a peace that guards. And thirdly, it's a, it's a peace that's guaranteed by Jesus. The peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see, it's a peace that Jesus won for us by dying on the cross in our place. And by trusting in him, we change from being enemies of God and we now reconcile to God. So we are at peace with him. And Christ guarantees this peace forever. A few verses earlier in chapter 3, verse 20, Paul writes, but our citizenship is in heaven. Jesus is in heaven And as Christians, we are united with him there in heaven. He guarantees our citizenship in heaven. He guarantees our peace with God. So when we pray about our anxieties, we're we're guaranteed to be guarded in God's peace like this. But again, we do need to pray to know this peace deeply. 
got to pray. That's the method God has chosen to change our anxiety into peace. Pray. Pray honest, heartfelt prayers. Meditate on this amazing peace. Delight in your relationship with God. Give thanks that he answers our prayers like this and that he guards us. Rest in God's peace. Rejoice in Jesus. Request from God. Rest in God's peace. And then Paul climaxes with verses 8 to 9. Rejoice in what's good. Rejoice in what's good. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. This is so fitting. When we're, when we're anxious, it can be very hard to be positive, to move on, to keep going. But once we've rejoiced in Jesus, once we've asked God about our anxieties, we've stopped kind of agonizing, we've rested in God's peace then at last we can really rejoice in what's good. Whatever is good, focus on that, Paul says. Put it into practice. Even if it feels like 99% of my life is rubbish, focus on the 1%. Count your blessings, not your blemishes. Think, think well of people. Don't assume the worst in people. Do something that you know God loves. Anything. You know, text even just one person to tell them that you're thinking of them and will pray for them. Be amazed at how much God can free us from agonizing. And through that, he frees us to do what's good to serve others and live for Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, you are a wonderful, wonderful God and we rejoice in you. Father, you know it's easy to agonize over all sorts of things in life, some of them very hurtful. But we do trust in your wisdom. So help us to come to you in prayer instinctively, quicker. Praise you for your peace that guards. May we know this peace more deeply today, this week and beyond. And may we live our lives for your glory and in your peace. In Jesus' name, amen.